Well, welcome everyone. Today we're finishing up this three-part series, How to Maintain Hope When the World Seems Hopelessly Broken. And I don't even need to explain that title, do I? I don't need to list examples from current culture with everything that's going on in our world in 2020. And in addition to everything that is going on around us and globally, there's what you're facing in your own individual private world, right? So that's why we're talking about this, because life is complicated, you're trying to get it right, we're trying to get it right, and we want to help you not have to figure it out alone. And today, I want to talk specifically about this one word, hope, because if you've ever placed your hope in something or someone, only to have that something come crashing down or that someone uh, leave you or let you down, then you understand the tension of trying to maintain hope when things seem to consistently fall short and disappoint. If you've ever had someone say, I'm going to love you forever, or you've stood at an altar, or you've watched a son or a daughter or a friend, someone you care about, stand across from someone, and they say, until death do us part, and then she or he later decide, I've changed my mind, not until death. Rather, it was until someone else came along, and the relationship or the marriage came crashing down, and you felt that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. If you've seen or experienced that, then you understand trying to manage the tension of wanting to hope but struggling to do so. How do I maintain hope in people? How do I maintain hope in relationships? In fact, recently I was reflecting on why it can be so hard to get people in our culture and in churches to connect in small groups and consistently in smaller social situations, especially if they're 32 or older. And part of it is the felt priority of most small groups and churches is to get a bunch of people together, hope they like each other and get along and connect and then do life together. And that's great. But the problem is, and first, uh, I'm embarrassed that it's taken me so long to realize it, but that's actually not the best approach to forming a bond between people, gathering around a common cause or a mission is. And because of seeing and experiencing people letting us down in relationships over time, more and more we prefer and gravitate to larger, more anonymous versions of church, meaning the typical Sunday morning gathering, precisely because we're afraid of any more intimate version of community. We're afraid if people really get to know us, they won't like what they see or something will happen and they'll just walk away or even reject us. But for whatever, the thought of investing time and opening ourselves up to truly becoming known, to being deeply and clearly seen by a group of people, only to have one or more fall away or disengage, it just becomes emotionally exhausting and even terrifying. And there's an increased reluctance to want to open ourselves up to others. We begin to lose hope in people and relationships. Or maybe you were promised something at work. If you do this, then this will happen. Well, you did your part. In fact, you went the second mile, but someone didn't come through for you. And you're hoping that job situation or an advancement or a raise, whatever it might be, you found yourself with a sense of frustration and despair, and you just got to where you were like, why even try? What's the point? What's the use? If you ever you've chose to move forward because you had a picture of a provision of joy or security that would come from something, some plan, some person, some situation, and they or it fell through, you found yourself wondering, how do I maintain hope in what seems to be a hopelessly broken world? And if you've not found yourself in the middle of that yet, that's awesome, but just be ready because eventually it is coming. 
Aren't you glad you joined us for today's encouraging message? But this is why I want to talk about this specifically, about hope, because as we launch, and now as we launch into this discussion, here's our working definition of hope. Hope is the person or thing in which your expectations are centered. The person or persons or the thing or things that you're leaning into, that as you look to the future, your hope is in that relationship or that group of relationships or in that company or profession or education, your ability, your looks, your intelligence, your life experience or training. You've centered your expectations in someone or something. Now, hope is like a ladder. It's like a ladder that we lean against a wall, a specific wall, a ladder that as we climb it, it's taking us towards a specific destination. That's how ladders work. And like hope, we lean it against something or someone. And the interesting thing is none of us ever remember doing this. None of us ever are conscious of this process. For example, when you were born, you automatically leaned your ladder of hope against your parents or whomever was your primary caretaker. Your hope for the future leaned on your parents' willingness or ability to care for you. You just naturally placed your trust, your hope in them, and you leaned your ladder against them. Then as you got older, you moved your ladder. You moved it from your parents, perhaps, to someone else, or your ability to take care of yourself, your ability to connect, your ability to make decisions for yourself better than what you thought your parents could, uh, your ability to get a scholarship, to do well in school, your ability to attract attention, to get the right job, to marry someone that had promise. But, but all of us, from time to time and in different stages of life, we make a decision to lean our ladder of hope against something or somebody, somebody or something that we think will support our ambition or aspirations, our hopes and dreams for the future. And as you're watching or listening online, I may not even know you, but here's something I know with confidence about you. You have placed your hope in something. You have leaned your ladder against a wall somewhere. But usually we go through life rarely aware of this, except when that thing or person lets us down or disappoints and our ladder comes crashing down. And that sense of broken trust, broken hope is simply feeling that the thing or person I lean my ladder against isn't coming or can't come through for me. I reach the top only to discover I lean my ladder against the wrong wall or the wall is crumbling. That the thing I've centered my expectations on is not meeting up to my expectations. It's not going to happen for me. I did the right things. I made the right choices. I did everything possible to raise my children a certain way so that they would make decision A, but they are choosing decision B. And I lean my ladder against my ability, ability to raise them right. And the outcome I expected is not being realized. Or I took care of my body and I ate healthy for the most part. I stopped smoking or didn't smoke. I quit drinking or didn't drink. And I lean my ladder of hope against that wall of healthy living. And all of us today, right now, we have a ladder of hope and it's leaning up against something or someone. And as Stephen Covey once said, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. And this is so simple, so powerful, so obvious. And yet our tendency is to lean our ladder against the wrong walls. 
Now, when you open this amazing gathering of documents that we refer to as the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament, story after story, account after account, proverb after proverb, teaching after teaching, we are shown and told again and again where to lean our ladder. And that is to place our trust, our hope, and to lean our ladder against God, who has invited us to call him Father. For example, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he was talking to a young guy, Timothy, and he said to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, to which in our current global economy, we go, that is exactly right. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to, sorry about that, but to put their hope in God. That is, they need to move their ladder from the wall of, if I save enough, work hard enough, uh, uh, accumulate enough, invest right, follow through enough, then somehow it's all going to work out for me. Paul says, no, no, no. Tell the wealthy, even the successful people, be careful. Do not lean your ladder there. Lean your ladder against the Lord. Now, you may not like this. I'm not judging you. I'm just stating a fact. Some of you have believed in God your whole life but you've not truly leaned your ladder of hope fully against him. Even if you're new to the faith, all of us, especially in the United States, we have a hard time actually putting our hope in Jesus, our hope in God, or we convince ourselves we have, but then something in our life crumbles or we experience a crisis of faith or a pandemic, and we realize that we weren't really leaning into God because as goes our circumstances or our finances or our relationships or our health, so goes our hope. And as Americans, we are the best in the world at creating walls that hold up pretty good because we believe, uh, we've been told that if we have the right education, that ladder is going to hold. If you're good looking enough, that ladder is going to hold. If you have the right surgery, the right connections, if you marry well and you're disciplined and you don't do the things you shouldn't do and do do the things you should do, if you're really careful and connected and do it all right, then you can lean your hope against that and it's going to hold. So we do everything in our power to put our hope in things we feel we can control, right? I mean, isn't that your tendency? I'll just be honest. That's my tendency. That's what I lean towards. We, We tend to put our hope in things that we can create and manufacture, things that we feel we can control. And then if you're a Christian, just for good luck, we go, okay, dear God, please don't let my ladder fall. God, I think I've found a solid place to lean my ladder, and I want you to help me out, God. God, come through for me. God, I want this to work. And God says, through the authors of Scripture, that, and, and, and there are people around you today who are older and wiser, who have been there, done that, who have lived long enough to go, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, how smart you are, how good-looking you are, how wealthy you are. It's, it's the bad news before the good news. But eventually, you come to realize that we live in a hopelessly broken world. At some point, you discover that nothing, no thing, is secure in this world. 
Now, again, bad news before the good news. Now, today I want to take us through some verses, and if we go through these verses, you go, those verses are kind of confusing. It's not you. Paul at times just wrote in a confusing way, and it's in the book of Romans, chapter 8, a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and the teacher side of me would love to pick through all of these verses and words and nuances because these passages in this chapter are so rich, but it would take two and a half hours. You'd start shopping on Amazon. You would wouldn't come back next week, so I'm not going to do that. But for just the next few minutes, we're going to let Paul reveal where our hope should be and what it looks like and the futility of leaning our ladder against our ability to control or predict the future. And just to warn you, he begins a bit negative, but at the end comes back around to an end that will not disappoint. So we're going to begin in verse 20. First, I'm going to tell you what the verse means, but today or tomorrow morning, I highly recommend that you read this part of the New Testament. Chapter 8, start in verse 20, read through, fill in the gaps where I'm going to skip some verses because this passage is so rich and so relevant to where we are today as a culture and a world and what's going on in our world, okay? So verse 20, Paul goes back and he draws on an event in the book of Genesis that's typically referred to is the fall of man. It's a story about when sin entered the world. Now, you may be a person, you'd say, I I don't believe in sin, but every one of us can agree bad things happen in the world and people do bad things in the world. So let's put bad things that happen, bad things that people do in under the umbrella of the term sin. And when we think about sin, we usually think of an incident like that was wrong Or people will say, Chad, do you think such and such is a sin? And basically they're asking, is it okay if I do that? What they're really asking is, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? Because we think of sin as something you do. It's an incident. I often explain that the term sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. But this is simply a symptom of a greater reality. The authors and teachers and witnesses throughout Scripture, they teach that when sin entered the world, it was toxic and entered the world as a fatal disease that impacted everything. Every relationship between people and God and people and people, it affected all of creation, the animal kingdom, the weather, everything. It's a disease that has infiltrated all of creation and it's fatal, which means according to Genesis, everything living eventually dies. Have you noticed this? I mean, everything living eventually dies. And you might say, well, that's just the circle of life. You know, I saw the Lion King. Okay, that's a view. But Genesis states, Scripture teaches, and Jesus affirms, Paul talks about the reason everything in the world dies is because sin has polluted and corrupted everything. That is the basis for his argument that it is always that it is always a bad decision to put your hope in things that pertain to this world. Now we're going to jump through these verses beginning in verse 20. He says, "For the creation was subjected to frustration. Whenever you're frustrated, it's because of sin." The reason your experience in this world can be so frustrating. Why am I still single? Why won't my husband or my wife or why won't my kids? Why won't my mom, my dad, my boss? uh, Why can't people see the world the way I see it? Why won't people give me another chance? Why won't they call me back? I'm just so frustrated. Paul would say all of that is ultimately because of sin. That when sin, sin entered the world, God made the decision to allow sin to run its course. Now, you may not like that. It may not make sense, and that's okay. You're not God, neither am I. 
I think we could agree that there are a lot of things in life and in this world that don't make sense, that we don't understand, but that no, in no way reflects the reality of it. And if there's a being that transcends space and time, then there are going to be things that we may not like or we're not going to understand, right? But that in no way affects the reality of God. And when, we, when sin entered the world, God said, I'm going to let it uh, go like a wave. It's going to touch and impact everything. It's going to corrupt everything in every relationship. Paul says the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. That means everything in the world is decaying. And you know this to be the case. I mean, you reach a certain age, every time you look in the mirror or you see a picture of yourself, you go, ooh, what's that? That's bondage to decay, time and gravity, okay? It's not very encouraging, but it is reality. Everything's decaying, including your body, your relationships, your wealth. Everything ultimately has a shelf life. It has the smell of decay. Now, because we're Americans, we like to think, nuh-uh, I'm not going to decay. I'll have a surgery, or I'm going to get educated, and I've got good genes, and I look young for my age. You know, I remember as a, uh, as a teenager thinking, Anybody over the age of 30 was so old. And then a few years ago, I was in Starbucks to meet with a young dad, and he brought his baby with him. I was holding the baby while he ordered his drink. I was having this great moment. And there's a young nurse sitting there near me, and she looks over at the baby and goes, Oh, he's so cute. How old is your son? Except she didn't say, Son, like I expected. No, she asked, How old is your grandson? I was like, What happened? There's no way I look old enough to be a grandpa, right? See, we fight against it. We take vitamins, buy products, we work out, we ap apply all kinds of creams and hair growth gel, and we soak it in and sand it down, and like, oh, this is my natural hair color, whatever. And, and we pluck it, and we look in the mirror and go, wow, when did I start growing hair there? And the stylist, you know this, you're getting old, they go, would you like me to trim your eyebrows? And we work hard against it, but the bottom line is we are in bondage to decay. Hey, I mean, even the best people on the planet, they're in bondage to decay. I mean, think of the people who've done the greatest good in this world, people that you've looked up to or idolized in your life, and despite all the good, they died. Think of the people that you've loved, grandparents or parents, even children, who you just cherish and love without measure, and you know the world's a better place with them in it, and yet they die. Or couples that you've known or you've thought, wow, I want to grow old and love like they do. Maybe you had parents or grandparents or a couple you just knew and they just had the most, the most awesome marriage. They'd been married for like 50, 60 years and even after all those decades together, they still held hands and still kissed and sat in the park and had birthday parties and they talked about sex and it was all kind of weird, you know, but they were just so in love. I mean, they just did it all right, but it ended terribly because one of them got sick and contracted an illness that just ravaged their mind or their body, and it ended horribly as one watched the other fade away and die. I mean, can you say the notebook? I mean, you, you think, you know, they, they live such a good life. Why does it have to end this way? And the answer, there aren't any and they lived happily forever stories, right? Because once sin entered the world, it messed up every single thing. We live in a world of decay. Now, you can be going, Chad, I, I hope this is going somewhere happy. We'll get to happy in just a minute, but this is important. The reason we lean our ladder against the wrong walls 
is because we don't really believe that we live in a world of decay. We believe that we can beat the odds, believe we can be careful enough, healthy enough, smart enough. And Paul's saying, hey, before I get to the good news, you've got to embrace the bad. For real, you're not going to beat the odds because 100% you are in bondage to decay. Yes, we have happy birthdays. Yes, we have great vacations and your engagement is awesome. Honeymoon's amazing. You're happily married. You have that first child. There are highlights in life, some mountaintop experiences, and there's fun and there's joy. But the momentum, the ultimate direction of everything is infected by sin and is moving towards decay. We are in bondage and it is frustrating. Then in verse 22, 23, I'm just going to summarize, but he basically says this, this tension, it leads us to search because it creates in us a longing for something better. It creates in us a desire to look beyond this life and say, is there a world where there is happily ever after? Is there a world where relationships stay good, where people get along, where people I love don't suffer and I don't suffer? And it forces us to look outside of this life. And then in verse 24, for in this hope, in this hope that there's more to life than this life, that we won't always be in bondage to decay, for in this hope we were saved. That is, when you became a Christian, for those of you that did, or a follower of Jesus, you became linked to a bigger, better story with a much better ending that goes beyond this life. That's the hope we were saved to. Then in verse 25, but... If we hope for what we do not yet have, we a place where sin and sorrow and death is erased, if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. That means we don't give up. We don't give up hope because our hope is not in this world. And our hope cannot be in this life because eventually that hope always disappoints because we live in a world that is in bondage to decay and full of frustration. He says, Christian, you have something to look forward to. Christian, you have something to wait for patiently. And in the midst of circumstances that seem hopeless, you have every reason to hope. And then verses 26 to 30, I'm going to skip these verses. But uh, he says, basically, God understands your frustration, your disappointments, that sense of deep hurt, where at times you just groan on the inside. He says God so understands that, that his spirit actually prays for you and for me with something deeper than words, words that can't even be uttered with groaning, too deep for words. And if you've ever been in the pit of despair or loss, if you've ever hit rock bottom with hopelessness, if you've watched something in your life just crumble or sat powerlessly as you watched someone that you love suffer or maybe slowly die, then you know what it's like to get on your face or lay in bed and just groan and weep because words are just inadequate. And there's nothing that can be done. And God says, I understand that sense of isolation and fear and pain and the pointlessness that sometimes this world seems to offer. And then Paul, he turns a corner. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And some might say in the midst of a hopeless situation, seriously, what do you mean God is for us? Are you blind to what I'm dealing with? And then verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul's saying, as you center your focus and lean your ladder of hope and expectations on God and his love, his trustworthiness, he says, that's where hope does not disappoint. 
Then verse 38, big ending. Now remember, this is Paul who's been stoned with rocks. He's been imprisoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, beaten. I mean, this guy has experienced the worst the first century had to offer a Christian. And yet he says, but I, for I am convinced that neither death or life or angels or demons or the present or the future or powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither divorce or abandonment or scary health report or pandemic. He's saying, I want you to put your hope in something. You want to put your hope in something secure, something that won't ever disappoint. Put your hope in something that you can go to every single time. If you want to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world, you have one option. That's to move your ladder and lean it directly against your heavenly Father. It is the only place that you'll find enduring hope. And in the meantime, you do your best. You work to live out Jesus' values in the world where there aren't a lot of happily ever afters or a lot of happy endings. It means that you love like crazy, but when you don't get love back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't there to begin with. It means you serve like crazy. When nobody serves you back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't there to begin with. It means you forgive like crazy. And when people don't forgive you back, you don't lose hope because you never placed your hope there anyway. Do you plan? Of course. Do you have ambition? Of course. I mean, leverage all your talents and skills and build things and pursue progress and make the world a better place. Save, love, engage culture, engage the world, do all these things. But place your hope in your hard work or in the benefits of your ambition and your discipline. Place your hope in your education in any of those things? No. Paul says, Jesus says, live life, love people like crazy, and do your best to use your God-given gifts and talents and skills to accomplish everything you can. As Mother Teresa once said, give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyways. It means you go to bed at night and you say, God, thank you for this awesome day. It went perfect and wrinkle-free. I didn't get any bird poop on my car. It was perfect. But God, my hope isn't in any of that. It's in you. Or you go to bed at night and go, God, this was a horrible day. I am still disunsure about my financial situation. I see no progress in my relationships or the, pro the promise of a relationship or my health isn't any better. And I'm so disappointed. But Father, my hope isn't in any of that. It's in you. I've placed my hope in your unwavering, unchanging, never to be taken away love from me. And whatever you've placed your hope in will determine whether you're able to remain hopeful when the world seems hopelessly broken. So where are you leaning your ladder? Where have you placed your ladder of hope? When you lay in bed at night and all is said and done for the day and it's just quiet, where does your mind go? Where have you centered your expectations? Because again, remember, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step you take just gets you closer to the wrong place faster. Are you ready and willing to move or move your ladder of hope back against the unfailing love of God for you? And, and this isn't a one-time deal. It's daily because life has this way of subtly and stealthily causing us to shift our ladders slowly, subconsciously to something or someone else. The only way to maintain hope long-term in a hopelessly broken world is to place your hope in the unfailing love of God for you demonstrated in one place, in one specific moment in history, when Jesus Christ allowed himself to be crucified for your sins and mine. 
which if you've focused your faith and following on him, it's sealed your eternity forever. And my prayer for you and for all of us as we continue to face uncertain times in an uncertain economy, in an uncertain world, and what's going to happen with this COVID virus and all of that is that we would never lose hope and remain strong because we have been invited to place our hope in God's unfailing love for us. That's how you remain hopeful in a world that is, in fact, hopelessly broken. Let me pray for us. God, uh, sometimes this can be easier said than done, but Father, every one of us shares something in common, and that is that we're facing a world that is very different and full of challenges. And so many people listening to my voice right now, God, they, way before this or in the midst of this, they've experienced even deeper levels of complication. And Father, it is so easy. We, ha- we, especially in America, are surrounded by so many distractions. Please, God, by the helper that Jesus referred to as your Holy Spirit, help us to focus on you and your trustworthiness. I pray for everyone, whatever they're facing, that God, today, this week, that you would show up in a dramatic way beyond what they could ask or imagine. Father, that you would just throw some fuel on their hope that may be just a little candle flame right now. And God, that you would just give them some tangible reassurance. You are with them. You are for them. And you are trustworthy that they would feel that peace and that hope. God, I I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us. And again, for some of you, you would say, you're right, Chad, that I, I haven't leaned my hope against God. Now's the time. If you want somebody to pray with you or to pray about that with you then, then, or to have a conversation, well, what does it look like to actually lean my hope against God? Please reach out to me. You can message me through Facebook, uh, uh, through email. I'm not hard to get a hold of. Please do that. Uh, jo- come back next week. We've got something uh, we, we've got something special planned for next Sunday. Please don't miss that. And there's a link in the, two links in the comments. One, if you're new, if you're checking this out for the first time, uh, there's a link that will connect you to our family page, give you a more intimate behind-the-scenes glimpse into who we are. Click that link as your next step and check us out. It could open the door to a conversation. And then the other link is we've got coming up our next gathering. We've not been able to gather on Sunday mornings, but we're getting creative with how we gather. And we've got a big uh, cookout with yard games and everything. There's a link in the comments for you to check that out. We would love for you to come. You as an individual, your whole family is invited. So please do that. But again, thank you so much for joining us. We just, we're here to serve our community and to serve you because life is complicated. You want to get it right. We want to get it right. We just want to help. We hope you'll join us again next week.